0: Thank you, Austin. Thank you to those who shared. This is giving us permission to believe for our own breakthrough. Um, And I do believe that there will be a great exchange tonight. So whatever you brought with you that you feel is weighing you down, what you're going to do tonight is you're going to give it up to the Lord. And in exchange, He is going to give you what He has for you because He is a good Father. So that's going to happen tonight. Um, As I was preparing uh, in the weeks prior uh, up to this moment, Uh, I heard the Lord on what to do, and he said, uh, don't prepare a second message. So before Penn comes up here and runs up and grabs a mic, um, I'm gonna try and keep going. But the Lord spoke. He actually began to speak last night after the service, um, and he said, you're going to be sharing your testimony. Um, It's the testimony of Jalissa and I. And um, and so I, I don't know what's gonna be in it, but I believe that there's gonna be something for you in it That's going to give you permission to believe. Um, I also heard the Lord say, don't underestimate the power of your surrendered yes. Because all it takes in the kingdom, you don't need to have all this stuff and these qualifications and these equippings and all of these things. You just need one thing. Yes. That's it. So don't underestimate the power of your yes. Uh, Many of you have seeds within you planted, callings and destinies within you that maybe have laid dormant because of maybe surrounding situations or whatever. But I feel the rain tonight was very prophetic in saying that there is going to be a fresh rain coming on old dormant seeds that maybe you have buried or pushed off to the side or maybe later or maybe heartbreak came in or hopelessness or whatever. But tonight, I believe God is going to water those seeds and watch what he does with your yes. That's all it takes. Amen? Amen. 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 So I'm just going to quickly share my testimony. Once again, I feel an urgency to get back to that afterglow that Penn was talking about. Um, so growing up, uh, well, let's just start at the beginning. My name's Danny. Um, I am 27 years old. My wife, Julissa, is somewhere. I don't see her right now. Um, but she's somewhere, and she's 27 as well. This is my son, Ezra. Hey, Ezra. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Ezra is three years old, and we have a seven-month-old Annie. And um, I grew up in a conservative Mennonite home. Uh, Can I I, I asked again how many were from Amish and Mennonite background, but again tonight I want to see how many from Amish and Mennonite background. Okay, majority. Majority of us have been. And um, growing up in this Amish and Mennonite background, a big thing that I think, I don't know if it's many of us, I do believe it is culturally, maybe not home to home, but uh, it's unspoken of. But it's performance, and you must gain approval. Uh, And if you do not gain approval, shame comes to steal. And what shame does is shame um, shrinks you and makes you run away. And so anyways, when I was seven years old, I gave my heart to the Lord. I remember it. I was kneeling at my bed with my dad. I have incredible parents. My dad led me to the Lord. Uh, We prayed the prayer. I'm positive I was saved then. Uh, As time went on, I began to go through my teenage years, and I didn't realize this until just a few years ago when the Lord showed me this, um, but in my teenage years, I turned my back on God. And should, I have, um, should my life have ended or the Lord had come back, uh, I would not have spent eternity with Him because I had turned my back on Him. Uh, I, remember, um, I remember deliberately sinning. And I would, and I knew God was watching. This is so twisted. But I remember deliberately sinning, knew God was watching, and I would say out loud, I don't even care. And at that point I knew that I didn't know this even then. Even then, guys, this is how deception works. Even then, I believed I was going to spend eternity in heaven. Even then, I believed I had eternal life. So, so twisted, so so much deception. Um, but anyways, I go through my teenage years, and I did not know the Lord. Um, but isn't it funny? We have a desire to know the Lord. Everybody has a desire to know the Lord. Maybe they don't know it. They're trying to find it in something. But we all have a desire to know the Lord. And um, there was this uh, tent meeting in Baltimore, and I believe in 2009, in Penn. Uh, this is where you uh, helped literally change the course of our destinies. Um, And uh, under this tent in 2009, we experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. And you would think even after a tent, it was similar to this. We experienced the power of the Lord. Even after that, you would think, okay, now he's got it. Um, I still um, was addicted um, to sin. I was addicted to, can I be real honest with you? I was addicted to pornography. Um, And because of all of that, shame just crept in. And so instead of being able to reach out and say, I need help, shame came, the spirit of heaviness came and pushed it on me so that I ran away and hid. Now, you see, this is not foreign to the human race because the very first humans did this thing as well. You see, when when the first time that, or when sin entered the world, when Adam and Eve made that decision immediately the first thing that came upon them was they said, we're not clothed, we're naked. And shame instantly came over them. And what shame did was that even though they had the most perfect father in the world who walked with them daily, loved them, cared for them, protected and nourished them, shame came and told them and said, you better run away because you are not clothed. And so what they did was they ran away and they hid from the presence of the Lord. You all know this story. And God came back searching for them, not to rebuke them. Is that not incredible? God came back searching for them to restore them. But shame told them to run away and hide. That spirit of heaviness told them to run away and hide. I was experiencing that very same thing. And my life changed when I found out that God actually came searching for me, that he's a good father that now is the acceptable time of the Lord, that his favor over me is now. My life changed when I saw that God was coming after me. Let, me. let me change this. I saw he was coming after me, but I often saw it with a big old paddle in his hand, right? Anybody else relate to that? <laughs> um, but he didn't. He was coming back to restore me. And so that's where my life really began to change. And and so um, growing up, my, my identity, everything that I was, like I told you, I turned my back on God in high school. Um, and my identity was wrapped up in basketball. I loved basketball, I loved sports. Um, it was all I could do. And remember I talked about that approval thing, that affirmation thing. That's where I found it. I found it in basketball. Um, you know, and so I would I would work really hard, play my heart out so that, not so that someone would tell me good job, but oh did I want that good job. Right, and I wanted to approval, and so what I wanted more than anything else was to be able to play in college, play college basketball. And uh, by the grace of God, I actually got that opportunity. And so I went down and, and I played uh, in college at Ohio Christian University. And my freshman year, I, I absolutely did not play. I didn't sniff the floor. Um, <laughs> I was the only one who could not dunk on our team, so that was a bummer. But, right. It's, it's almost kind of like Jesus commanding angels, right? There could have been some of that there for that. But um, I, anyways, I, I didn't play. didn't play a lick. We actually ended up in our division. Now, we were in a very low division, so don't think this is some high thing. But we were in a very low division, but we won the national championship in our division. And uh, that next summer, after my freshman year, I thought, okay... I don't want to sit on the bench again. I want to play. And so I, I mean, I trained, I worked my heart out. I did the best I absolutely could. Um, and I gave my life to basketball. I gave it to basketball. So uh, I, we come into my sophomore year and I actually end up earning a starting job. And I was like thrilled and floored. And I start going through, you know, all the stuff. I can't believe I'm a starter, all this stuff. And... Um, We go through the whole year and it ends up we win another national championship um, and we won the championship. We're we're standing there on the court and I'm sitting there thinking, this is absolutely 100 percent unfulfilling. (laughs) You should know that, right? But I poured everything that I could into this and when it came back out it was absolutely unfulfilling that's because everything outside of Christ that is pursued is unfulfilling we know that and so that sent me on a search it sent me to search and and uh, so i was since i didn't find my fulfillment in basketball uh, i said well okay forget basketball i know what i'll do let's get married If you're trying to find fulfillment in marriage and Christ is not there, it's not going to end good. Um, but, by the way, anyways, so Jalissa, uh, we met each other. She was 12 and I was 13. I was in seventh grade. She was in sixth grade. And she came up to me and she said, we're going to get married one day. And I looked at her and I told her, you're crazy. Get out of here. And seven years later, we got married. So... Um, in, in the midst of my engagement, I began to see that I was really lacking something on the inside. I was really lacking something. And so I, what I did was I began to seek the Lord. And here's what happened. I grew up in church. Penn, do not laugh at this. Um, I grew up in church, and I had never read the Bible. And I said, I'm going to start reading the Bible. Novel idea when you're seeking the Lord. And I start reading this thing, and I'm go through Genesis. I start at the beginning, go through Genesis, I hit Exodus, I go through Leviticus, and I'm like, wait a minute. This whole story is about these people called the Israelites. This is crazy. This is just one story. What I thought this was was that a, a bunch of mishmash stories of God just showing up in random places in the earth and putting it in the Old Testament. I had no clue. That just shows you, as growing up, I was not in the Word. I was not, I didn't know. And so this was, I was 19 years old when I found out that um, it's about the Israelites. And so, um, anyways, God was so faithful. You know, God is not threatened by that. I want to throw that out there. God is not threatened by your, what you feel you have a lack of. He's not threatened by that. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, "Well, geez, man, I didn't even know it was about the Israelites. Or... <laughs> Or whatever. Um, Man, I've only got one verse memorized or two. Don't even go there. I tell you, God is not threatened by your lack of because in him is the fullness. And so all you need to do, link yourself with him, give everything to him and his fullness and his abundance will come through him into you and that lack will disappear in Jesus' name. And so don't even worry about that. Um, So anyways, we go on. I'm seeking the Lord. Uh, we get married, skipping past a bunch of stuff, but we get married, and it was fine for the honeymoon. That was awesome. A few weeks in, um, but man, it was <laughs> it was it was a little rough. Um, but I tell you what, I was see, I was still seeking the Lord all through this. And six weeks into marriage, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that changed my life forever. And He came into my room and. And I saw for the first time how loved I actually was. Uh, I saw the heart of a father, and it has forever wrecked me. I'm still not the same. And so if it was not for that encounter, I don't know what would have happened. And so I have this encounter with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jalissa is not really walking with the Lord at this time either. If you ever have somebody that gets a radical encounter with the Lord, and you release them around people who... um, are not so going after the Lord, it creates a little bit of tension, right? And so that's what was created in our marriage. Um, so for the first few months, there was tension. Um, but I was totally, she, she would tell you now, I was totally changed. I was completely 180 different because of this encounter that I had with the Lord. I want to tell you something. Um, Luke 11 talks about the Holy Spirit. And in the context of the Holy Spirit, uh, he says, He tells this story of someone going to a friend on a journey, going to someone's house and his friend's house. And the friend is in bed. He just put his kids to bed. And this guy comes in on the journey. It's at, I think it's a late hour. We'll say midnight. And he begins to knock on the door and say, hey, I need some bread. Hey, I need some food. Open up. And the guy yells back from the inside and says, are you serious right now? I just put my children to bed. You don't know how long that took. I'm not getting you any bread. And, um, but it says in the scriptures, because of his persistence, he rose up and got him bread. And tonight, I want to talk to you a little bit about spiritual persistence, and we'll get there. But um, that's what happened. I, I kept knocking. I kept asking. I kept seeking. And I started to do it persistently. Even though I didn't see it starting to manifest in my life, I said, no matter what, I've tried everything else. This is my only option. I'm going all in. And so I don't care what happens. I'm going to ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And it says there later that right after that story, Jesus begins to talk about the Holy Spirit. And he says, oh, if if your father, if you ask your father for bread, he's not going to give you, I believe it's a snake and so on and so forth. And he says, how much more will those who ask for the Holy Spirit, will he not give it to them? And so there's this, there is this spiritual persistence that must be, um, I think that we need to, to keep going into. Are you with me on this one? It's not just a one-time knock and think, okay, well, he didn't open up. Just imagine that friend, he knocked one time, he said, nope, and so he turned away and left and went home hungry. He stayed and kept on knocking and kept on knocking. So I don't know where you're at tonight. Maybe you feel a little hopeless. Maybe there's, there's a situation that needs change, and you feel like you've knocked. You feel like you've asked the Lord. I tell you, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. He is faithful and just. He will meet you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. And so um, as uh, I'm going to skip through um, a few years. I knew after that encounter, I knew I was called into ministry, um, but I never, I, I never sought it out. I was in uh, college for education. I was going to be a teacher. And so I finished my education. Jalissa and I graduated um, and I got a teaching job, a middle school job. I, I absolutely loved it. I was a middle school teacher, loved my kids. Uh, I, I saw that as my mission field. And um, we're just going to fast forward through uh, most of that. In February in 2019, the Lord gave me the call and he said, you're going to go to the nations to preach the gospel. And when he gave that call, I kept that to myself because I thought that sounded so absurd. Um, I thought, who am I? There's no way. I've screwed up too much. I definitely don't have enough confidence to do this um, because I was looking at confidence in myself and not confidence in the Lord. And and I just kept it to myself. But at that point was when uh, the Lord put that call in me and a seed formed in me. There was a seed. And a few months later, um, let me preface this by saying our callings, Jalissa and I, our callings have always seemed to go like this. We felt like, and it created tension in our marriage because we saw how I was created to preach the gospel, and she's called to be a mother, and we saw this, and we're like, well, preachers are poor. She wants a big family. How's that going to work? (laughs) Right? Right? In all honesty, it did create tension because we did not see how it could actually work. It felt at some point that it was either we had to choose one or the other. That's exactly how it felt. Um, and so anyways, I had this seed put in uh, myself about the preaching of the gospel. Jalissa had a seed in her that uh, she had a word from the Lord. She's going to be a mother and not just a mother to any small family. Uh, pray for us. Uh, she wants to be a mother of a big family. Amen. <laughs> Uh, And so she had a seed and I had a seed as well. Now, this was in February of 2019. Skip forward a few months to November of 2019. Uh, At this point, Jalissa, or Ezra, is about a year and a half old. And Jalissa is pregnant with our second and with Ezra, we had an absolute perfect pregnancy all the way up through. I mean, no issues, no complications at all. With this second pregnancy, we had no issues and no complications at all. God, it was so beautiful. But one night, uh, I got a call uh, from Jalissa and she said, you need to come home. My water just broke. And I, it was water or something or bleeding or something. I, water, okay, her water had just broke. And we we were like, okay, what what does this mean? What do we do? And so she got on the phone and they said, you need to come to the emergency room now. And so when we got into the car to go to the emergency room, I I tell you, you really find out where you're at when the rubber meets the road, right? And at that point, I just remember feeling fear getting into the car and and going to the hospital. And so as we go to the hospital... Uh, they immediately begin to do a, um, an ultrasound on her. And whenever you do an ultrasound for a baby, you see their hearts. It's so beautiful. Their hearts just flutter. I mean, it's so fast. So fast, their hearts are just fluttering. And as they put that monitor up to Jalissa's belly, they saw the baby and we, we could see it as well. As soon as we saw it, the heart was going like this. Just very slowly. And the doctor said, we advise you right now to give birth so that you have a few moments with your child. And boom, there's the bomb. And we said, no, there's no way. We're we're going home. We are going to pray and believe that this child will be healed, that this child will live a full life, that it will fulfill its destiny and calling. And so we went home that night. The doctor said, I I've never seen any, or she said, I've seen something like this only once, I'm sorry, twice in 22 years have I seen something like this. There's no, they, still to this day, they do not know what caused any of this stuff. So we went home and they said, come back in three days. And we said, okay, so we're gonna take three days. And I tell you what, what we did in those three days, I called off uh, teaching, I called off school, uh, she called off work. And those three days, all we did was spend time together, pray, and worship. And I think we did two or three or ten puzzles in there as well. (laughs) And that's what we did. And when we were singing Goodness of God tonight, man, the, the emotions just came flooding back again because I remember in the state we were in, and we said, play it again. And we would throw on the goodness of God, and we would stand in our living room and march in the goodness of God. And so three days went by, and we went back to the hospital. I don't know what I was expecting. I, was ex- I think I was expecting to see a full, fluttering heart. But as the monitor went up, the heart just stood still. And at that moment, we knew that our child was lost. And, um, I remember as soon as it happened, the nurse said, I'm going to give you a moment. And as soon as it happened, we both just broke down. And I remember the first words out of my mouth were, I hate you. I hate you. And friends, this was not directed at the Lord. There was a thief that came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I remember feeling such anger in that moment for having something stolen from us. And we said on that day, we made a vow that we said, We will run this race all the harder and we will go all the more and we will kick the devil in the teeth all the more because of what he stole from us. So Jesus, here we are. We present our bodies as living sacrifices to whatever you say. Here we are. The goodness of God is in our lives. What came to absolutely destroy us, because look at what happened here. Look at this timeline. She has a word from the Lord that her calling is to be a mother. And this is a direct assault on the word of the Lord. Direct assault. I had a word just six months prior that said, you're going to preach the gospel around the world. That was a direct assault on that word. And we had a choice at that point. And I remember, man, I remember the few days after losing that child. And we named him. His name is Oliver. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. The Lord showed me Oliver one day, and it it sealed up so much peace. Um, If if you're in here and you have a similar story to ours, my friends, there is healing beyond anything you could ever imagine. Ask the Lord to show you your child. He will show you. When he showed us Oliver, it it sealed everything up, um, and it brought such healing. And so... Anyways, as we the few days after that we said I just remember how difficult it was to get out of bed. I had never experienced this before in my life. I mean the heaviness was so on me that I felt like what's it even matter? I'd rather I, honestly I'd rather just sleep. I'd rather just stay in bed. And I had never experienced this at that point. And looking back now, I know that should this have continued, it would have led down the road of depression. But I remember, I remember we said, no, we are getting up. We have words from the Lord and he is faithful and just to fulfill every word. Let's get out of bed. And so we do it. And the next day we do the same thing. And the next day we would do the same thing. And... So also in just prior to Oliver passing away, the Lord had said, this is your last year of teaching. And I said, Lord, I love my job. I love to teach. And he said, this is your last year of teaching. And so I told, so November of 2019 was when we lost Oliver. In December of 2019, one month later, we told the administrators, we said, this is our last year. The Lord has spoken um, we don't know what we're going to do after this, but we know this is our last year. And so, as time goes on, that's when COVID hit. Um, and so, I ended up having my last day. Near my last day, it was May 1st of 2020. I I remember. I still had that word from the Lord that you're going to preach the gospel across the world. And I remember that. And I still had not told anybody. The only person that knew was jalissa No one else knew. Because I was afraid of that word. I didn't want it spoken out. And on May 1st, the Lord got a hold of me, and I finally saw it. And so I finally got on my knees, and I said, Lord, I surrender to your call. And I say, no matter what, I will go. I will go. I will not not hide away in fear. I will not shame or the spirit of heaviness keep me away from this. I will go. And so I surrendered that day, and that day I went home and I put up a world map beside our bed. And it's still there. In this world map, we've got posted stickers of where the Lord has spoken to go, prophecies of specific things, and it's a reminder of the word of the Lord. And so after we, so in May of 2020 was our last, it was our last, uh, what do you want to call it, last time teaching, it was the end of our teaching time. And so we quit. I ended up getting a job with my brother-in-law at a thrift store. I, I didn't know what to do. I had no, I didn't know. So I just got a job and, and uh, <laughs> we still have this tension in marriage, right? We still have this tension. Even more so now that I surrendered to this word. Um, because I just kind of kept it hidden, right? So I've already surrendered to this word. And so Jalissa surrendered to her word. And here we are, we feel like it's like this. And I remember it was July First, I believe of 2020, just over a year ago, we had an argument uh, at a Downton Dariet around ice cream. How can you even argue around ice cream? Um, Man, I know, and (laughs) Rocky Rocky Road pen, (laughs) Rocky Road. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Wow, I, I almost don't want to amen that. It was wow. But we were standing in line, and and the disagreement, I'll call it, was over our callings. It was creating tension again. And I remember remember being right. I was. I was right. And I remember at the end of this argument, we we finished it. Jalissa goes to sit down. I go to get in line for the ice cream. And I said, Lord. I'm standing there by myself in line. I said, Lord, I know I'm right. And this is what he said to me. He said, you are right, but you're not love. And my heart broke into a zillion pieces. And I left the line and went to Jalissa and immediately repented. Because I saw what it was. I I really was right. Theologically, doctrinally, whatever you want to call it. I was right. But you know what? what? What fruit did it actually produce? Within her, there was a cry within her that needed a, a, an affirmation, a loving, tenderly hold, and yet here I am standing. No, I'm right. Get on my side. And the Lord said, you're right, but you're not love. And that totally has transformed our marriage in the last year was when he said, you're right, but you're not love. So anyways... Um, that argument ended, get this, guys. That argument ended with me saying, Now, this was before the resolution, but that argument ended with Jalissa, I know that if I would come home tomorrow and quit my job, I know you would support me. And she said, I would. And so we had the resolution. I go to work the next day. Um, the, the Lord has this video sent to my phone. Uh, it's this evangelism boot camp uh, run by CFAN Daniel Kalenda. Where the call is, if you are called to preach the gospel around the world, you need to be here. There's only a hundred people that are getting in. If you have the call and the Lord is speaking to you right now, you need to enter your name in and to be to be into this lot. And uh, so the very next day after Jalissa said, or Jalissa said, yep, I would support you if you'd quit your job, I would come home. I said, Jalissa, you're not going to believe this, but I'm going to quit my job um, because the Lord has spoken. And it was intense. <laughs> not that bad. It really wasn't that bad. Um, but I, the call, I, I knew that was it. I knew that was it. And it was so impressed upon me that I said, Jalissa, I, I know this is the word of the Lord. Like, I know it deep within me. I know it. And I said, Jalissa, I know that argument we just had yesterday. I know it. And I said, and I knew the Lord spoke that I'm, I was right, but I'm not loved. But I know now that I am going, I know it no matter what, and I want you to come with us. And that night she said, I'm surrendering as well. And so we both held each other on the picnic table at the playground outside of our house and just bawling and saying, Lord, we surrender to whatever you have us do. And so this started this journey. We started to go on this journey of of going to Orlando, Florida, what this required was we needed to both quit our jobs. We were both working. Um, I had a full-time job. She had a part-time job, uh, and we had to quit our jobs. We, um, I mean, we had to. This required renting a home for four months. This was a three, a four-month program, from January through May. Um, and now the the bananas on top of this is that. Not only does this boot camp start in January, which is just this past January, uh, but Jalissa's pregnant, and the baby is due in January, and so Jalissa literally had to surrender everything and say, I, am, I too will follow the word of the Lord, no matter what it costs, and so as time went on, she gave birth a week before we had to move our entire house down for four months, and so there we sat, driving down I-77. Um, with a one-week-old baby and a mom who had just given birth. Please give her a hand. Do not underestimate the power of your surrendered yes. Do not underestimate it. Let me take you through a few more journeys here. So when we got that Uh, When we surrendered and we said, we're going to go, that was in July, I had to be, we hadn't even, I hadn't even been accepted. There's thousands of people that, that enter their stuff in and only a hundred get to go in. And so I had to have an interview, completely bombed the interview. Jalissa looked, she was in the same room. It was over Zoom. Jalissa looked up at me and she said, guess we're not going to Florida. (laughs) And man, it it went so bad. It went so bad. I was completely unprepared. And of course, uh, two weeks later, I get the call. You've been chosen. You're in. Uh, I thought, okay, this is for sure, God. Um, And so now we have to trust God because what this requires is we have a mortgage at home. We have four months of rent that we need to pay. We have another child being added, and we're both quitting our jobs. Lord, how is this going to work? And I tell you, when you surrender to the Lord, he shows you. He said, you're going to do three things. He gave us three specific things. He said, number one, he said, you're not going to do any fundraisers. I'm going to teach you sowing and reaping. This grace giving that pen that you have been teaching on has, uh, I'm telling you, it's life changing. Thank you. Um, and he said, you're not going to do any fundraisers. Amish and Mennonites in here, you guys know we do the fundraisers, man. We pedal the cinnamon rolls. We go out and do all the stuff. We do it. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But the Lord said specifically for this, he said, you are not going to do any fundraisers. I said, okay, Lord. The second thing was, what was the second thing? The second thing was our parents. So we both have parents who um, are well off. They're wealthy. Uh, her, her parents own a, a trucking business. My dad has worked in management for a long time. They're both very well off. They have finances. And the Lord said, do not take a dime from either of your parents. Stop it. Stop it. Yes, sir. <laughs> Seriously, at this point, that's just what it requires. Yes, sir. I'll, okay, if that's what you say, yes. Here's, looking back now, I know exactly why he did it. Because if we would have went through this thing and it comes up on January, we're a few hundred dollars, a few thousand dollars, a few however much dollars short. We would know, oh, mom and dad, we know they'll help us out. We know they'll help us out. And so literally the Lord was cutting off that and saying, they are not your source. I am your source. And you listen to me. Amen. Amen. So we didn't take any. The third thing he said was, don't tell anybody how much money you need. Lord, Lord, how are people supposed to know how much to give if they don't know how much we need? And he said, I will speak to them. And I said, yes, sir. And so by the time those few months came around, oh, I'm skipping a few key stories. September comes. September is a key month. This is just not even a year ago, just last September. Last September, we have, um, we have a mortgage due, we have our housing rental down payment due, we have hospital bills for Annie due, we have all of these things due in September, and it's coming up on the end of the month, and if we get out our calculators, uh, we cannot make the numbers match, and uh, we were not going to have enough for the month of September, well, word got out to um, Lamar and Janet. You know, Janet over here, are they over here? Janet's brother, Steve, word got out to, to Steve. This was about the 18th or 19th of September. And remember, everything is due at the end of September. And he said, hey, I've heard what you guys are doing. I want to sow into this. And so he was the first one to sow seed into us. And Steve is actually not here with us uh, today. He passed away. But um, he, too, had a calling to preach the gospel around the world. Um, And it was so fitting that he gave that first seed to us. And so he gave us a seed of $200. And we said, oh, hot dog, $200. This is awesome. Still not even near enough for what we need for the month of September, but it's good. It's better than what we had. A week later, so it's like September 24th or 25th, we go to a church service, uh, and Dan Moeller is speaking. And Dan Moeller has so radically changed my life. Amen. And um, he... He was speaking at a local church, and we're worshiping. I'm having such a grand time with the Lord, and they take up an offering. And I'm like, well, I don't need to give money. I need, I need to have money. Um, and so I'm just worshiping the Lord, and the Lord says, give that $200 that you just received. And I said, Lord, you know we need that. And he said it again. Oh, this is what he said. Oh, it came back to me again. Listen to what he said. He said, whose money is it, yours or mine? And I said, yes, sir. <laughs> so I went out to the car. It wasn't even on me. It was out in the car. Grabbed the $200. Worship's still going on. I run up to the front, front throw that thing in the front, say, Jesus is king, and here we go. Now, the biggest battle was telling Jalissa. <laughs> And uh, during worship, I mean, she released it. She said, she said, if the Lord has said to give it, give it. And I said, yes. And so he did. So we gave away the only $200 that we had. We still needed, um, it was at least a couple thousand. Two days later, here we are. The numbers still don't match up. Um, and we're just praying and seeking the Lord. You know, we're, telling, we're not telling anybody how much we need. We, we can't take any from our parents. We're not doing any fundraisers. And three days later, a couple that we, do not, we did not know, we hadn't seen them, but they were coming to church maybe once or twice, and they said, hey, we heard about what's going on. We want to sew into this. And we said, oh, wow, thank you. Okay, so here's our stuff. And when the number hit, they had given us $5,000. And I'm telling you, that 5,000, I'm convinced it would not have been there had I held on to my 200. Because the Lord said, I'm telling how much every single one should be giving. And so if I would have hung on to that, I'm positive that amount would have been different. But because we were faithful enough to say, okay, Lord, take it. Here's our bread, here's our loaves and our fish, take it. You multiply it. And he did exactly that. And so we finished off September and it came in such a flurry after that opening time of giving. That opening time of giving, it came in such a flurry that everything was paid by December. Praise God. Shoot. I missed one story in there. I want to go back to it. When the Lord, uh, just before we were given the $200... I was sent on a run up to a uh, a home. What I did was I took this box truck and I would pick up old people's junk out of their garage. And so uh, I went in, picked up their junk and I'm in there loading everything out. All of a sudden the door opens and this old man starts coming out. And we begin, um, we're we're not in in a conversation and we just begin to acknowledge each other. And what he says was, you know, son, I've been in ministry For almost 50 years and he said I've never seen the Lord be unfaithful and I said "Uh, okay I'm listening Lord and it ended up where he said he said one phrase over and over he he was 94 years old and he he had his finger and he'd say son do not beg God for money beg God for souls do not beg God for money Beg God for souls. And I tell you, something shifted there. And that's when the 200, the $200 came after that. That's when the Lord said to give it. And so the word of the Lord went, went forth, and, and uh, we're going to boot camp. And so that brings us almost up to uh, present day. And we went through this boot camp. We just got done. We told you a little bit last night about the incredible things that happened. Our lives were totally transformed. Um, and the Lord is faithful. And so I want to tell you, if you have seeds that the Lord has given you, words, prophetic promises, your destiny, your calling, he's given those things to you and he often shows you in a moment what they are. And they start in seed form. And there's this process of the seed being watered and grown as we obey the Lord and, say, and surrender to the Lord and completely surrender to him. And I'm telling you tonight, if you have had seeds laying dormant, tonight is the night that the water of the Holy Spirit is gonna come in water. As you open your heart, surrender to him completely. Say, yes, Father, I'll do it. Yes, Father, I'll go. It doesn't matter what. It's not if you're even called to ministry. Maybe you're called to a different particular uh, business area marketplace, education, whatever it is, the Lord has put something in you. He's put something in each and every one of us. And if... Every single one under this tent would say, yes, Lord, I'll do it. I'll go. I'll surrender everything. I'll give it all up, and I will do as you say to bring your name glory. If that would happen, I tell you, this tent could absolutely shake this city. It could shake a region. I'm telling you, nations can be saved through people that are sitting here by the word of the Lord, being surrendered to by each one of our hearts. Do you believe that tonight? It can happen. And so I want to tell you, I, I felt leading up to this that there was heaviness and maybe shame or, or whatever. And maybe it has to do with what you've been called to do. You don't see any way that it's possible. But I'm telling you, if you'll just open your heart, surrender to him and say, yes, I'll go. I'll do whatever you say. I'm telling you tonight, things will shift in what in that He's just looking for your response. And so you see, I want to tell you, he's a good, good father. He does not lead you into places that, um, he won't lead you into places that you're not, what should I say, called to. He knows your longings. He knows your desires. He's put them within you. And so he's a good father. You don't have to be afraid of surrendering to him. You can surrender to him. And so tonight what's going to happen is that there's going to be a great exchange. If there has been heaviness or weariness or burdens over what you feel you've been called to, tonight there's going to be an exchange where you surrender that up and you say, Lord, I give you these burdens. I give you this heaviness. I give it to you. I tell you, he will exchange it for the oil of joy. He'll give you you beauty for ashes. We had ashes. We had attacks on our words from the Lord. And I tell you, the Lord is giving beauty for those ashes that came. And so I want to tell you, I don't know if the devils maybe tried to come and steal what has been placed or deposited inside of you. What I want to tell you is take hold, take persistence, get up. You're not just getting up on your own. The grace of the Lord, is his hand is down, pulling you up with, saying, come on, son. Come on, daughter, let's go, let's run. We're gonna do this together. Don't stay down. Are you with me? Let's stay up. Go to Luke chapter 18, and I'm gonna end with this. We talked about that persistence in the beginning. We talked about ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. And here we are at the end of the chapter. We're going to start in verse 35. As he drew near to Jericho, this is Jesus, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And man, can you imagine his his ears perking up? Jesus? That one that was healing every single person, that Jesus is passing by and the response that triggered in his heart was this in the next verse. He cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He cried out all through. Now I want to tell you, I believe Jesus heard him. I do. Why do I believe that? Because let's just keep reading. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Friends, here's where the word of the Lord gets lost. You put yourself out on a limb and saying, I'm gonna obey the word of the Lord. You put yourself out on a limb to cry out, son of David, have mercy on me you put yourself out on that limb and you cry out and it seems as if Jesus doesn't hear you. And not only that, it says that the ones who were in front turned around and started to rebuke him, saying, sit down and be quiet. Be quiet, sit down. Don't. What you are doing is so foolish and shameful. Sit down. And I tell you, right there is where the word of the Lord gets lost. It's when you take the courage to shout out, son of David, I'm giving it all. I'm surrendering it all. Son of David, have mercy on me. And it seems like he doesn't hear and then others come to rebuke you. But let me show you what this beggar did. Oh, but he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy. Mercy on me! And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, they gave praise to God. I'm telling you, if you feel tonight that you have cried out to God, and you feel as if he has not heard you, you felt the shame and the rebuke of others, saying, what, are you, what you're doing is so foolish and crazy. These desires, these seeds that the Lord has planted within you, what are you even thinking? I'm telling you, don't listen to it. The word of the Lord is inside of you. And he said, this blind beggar said, oh, I'm going to get his attention even more. Son of David. I'm telling you tonight, there's going to be a few more cries of son of David, have mercy on me. I just believe that Jesus, as he was walking by, I I believe he heard him. Why? Because it says that his faith made him well. Jesus is attracted to faith. And so I believe he heard him, but he, I, I believe Jesus wanted to see how persistent he was. How much did he really believe that he would come and do exactly as he wanted? How much did he actually believe? And it took a spiritual persistence. It took a crying out. It took a, I don't care what anybody thinks, I'm gonna cry out again. I don't care what anybody thinks, I'm gonna cry out again. And so tonight, guys, I'm telling you, whatever seeds that are in your heart, that maybe that have laid dormant. Maybe you believe that God didn't hear you when you cried out. I'm telling you tonight, guys, get up and cry again. Let's cry again and cry again. He is faithful and just. He doesn't put a carrot on a string to make you run after something you can never grasp. He wants to see how persistent you are. There's something being built up in you.